This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to the America Change Forever podcast. I'm Jeff Pegues. This week, we're taking a look at the economy and the global supply crisis. It's beginning to look like this supply chain bottleneck is going to have an impact on the holiday season. Here's the problem in a nutshell. Right now, there is this massive congestion in ports. So the ships with the goods that we all want can't dock. And then once they make it to shore, there aren't enough truck drivers or workers to unload. Dr. Patrick Penfield is a professor of supply chain management at Syracuse University. Why do you think people should care about this global supply crisis? Well, the reason why they should care is just because there'll be a lack of products and prices increasing. How would you explain what is happening? Well, it's, a, it's actually a combination of things. So, so the first thing is COVID-19, which has really kind of uh, created this demand pattern change. So uh, because people were cooped up at home, uh, they decided to buy products. And so uh, demand increased. Uh, then we've had uh, weather events such as flooding, tornadoes, hurricanes, which has really impacted uh, production and facilities. We've had cyber attacks, uh, ransomware on, on some large uh, production facilities. And then uh, lastly, we've uh, continued to see labor shortages. So there just aren't enough people to fill all the vacant jobs that are out there. How long has this been developing? So this uh, really started to, to take off uh, when the pandemic hit. And then that's when we noticed the demand pattern change. And then from there, it's just been increasing. And so unfortunately, we are a global supply chain. So when there's one disruption, uh, you know, we can feel it uh, here uh, as, as consumers. How are businesses having to adjust? Well, the, the primary way that they're having to adjust is increasing prices. So that's why, you know, it just seems that everybody within the, the channel is passing along that price increase. Uh, in addition to that, they're having to pay higher wages, you know, to be able to attract more workers to come uh, to their place of business. Patrick, do you think this will persist? Yeah, this issue probably will persist into 2022, I'd say at least the third quarter. That's if everything else is fine and there's no issues with uh, another COVID variant. I wish I had a, a crystal ball, uh, but again, uh, the variables, that's the dilemma that we see. So, you know, uh, the right now the supply chain is very fragile. So it just takes one thing to, to knock it off kilter and then, you know, it impacts all of us. Is this unprecedented? Absolutely. This is what we would term a, a black swan event. So nothing we've ever seen or prepared for. And so a lot of lessons to be learned from this particular situation. So what do you think the lessons are? Well, I think you kind of have to look at your supply base and really kind of understand where you're getting product from, how you're getting that product, and then try to build in some redundancy, try to build some alternatives, and, and really try to be more proactive as far as making sure that you have enough product to meet your needs. Is China playing a role in this too? Yeah, absolutely. China is playing a role. So I, I think it's gotten worse because they're kind of under an energy crunch right now. 
So because they have a lack of energy, they're un, un, unable to produce as much as they produced in the past. China has also seen unprecedented demand. So there's just a lot of demand that's being placed on China. And unfortunately, with the energy crunch that they're in right now, they've really cut back as far as what they've been producing. The biggest bottlenecks are at what ports in particular? So that'd be the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach. So about two thirds of freight actually goes through those uh, two ports. California's governor signed an executive order to alleviate congestion. That happened this past week. Do you think public officials should have planned better? Yeah, I, I've seen the governor of California trying to get involved. Uh, obviously, President Biden has tried to get involved. Uh, so, yeah, I think there there's some opportunities there. It's just, uh, you know, somebody's got to kind of take control and, and make some things happen. So I'd say specifically about maybe moving some of those ships to the Port of Oakland and uh, having the folks at the Port, port of Oakland uh, actually unload some ships. So they actually have capacity. So I'm surprised that, you know, these moves aren't being made yet. I, I think there's things that really are out of their control. So as, as government, we, we believe that we can influence things and, or try to control and make things better. But there's only so much that uh, government officials can do, especially in, in, in the world of the corporation. So I, I think there probably were a couple of things they probably could have done better, you know, if they've gotten involved earlier. But I think, you know, now we're in a crisis mode. Now everybody's trying to, you know, again, trying to intercede uh, and, and trying to make things better. So I think some of it's happening. Uh, could, have, could they have started sooner? Absolutely. You mentioned that there are a couple of things that maybe they could have done better. So what do you think those couple of things are? Well, I think first is, is again, utilizing the Port of Oakland. If they have capacity... And, and they're close by, why wouldn't you use them as a port? The second thing is, you know, trying to get more trucks in there, right? So from what I understand, there's a, a time from 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. where uh, the terminals aren't open at the ports. So why can't we open up the terminals so that way the trucks can get in there and get what they need? So, you know, the terminals are owned by uh, by private owners. So for them, it, it may uh, be an impact to their profits. And that, that may be why, you know, that they're not open from 3 to 8 a.m., in the morning, which again, just boggles my mind why they aren't open. When businesses pass the cost of some of these interruptions on to the consumers, is that something that happens temporarily or is that something that is baked in for the future? Yeah, it will be baked in for the near future. I mean, you, you've got stuff like commodities that, that could you know go up and down like steel and lumber. Yeah, but for consumer goods, once you got a price in there, you know, for the most part, usually that's baked in and, and then you'll continue to see price increases. Dr. Patrick Penfield, thank you. You're very welcome. You have a great day. Jill Schlesinger is a business analyst for CBS News, and she writes the nationally syndicated column, Jill on Money. All right, Jill, tell me about this thing you call the gray rhino. <gasps> it's my new favorite thing to talk about. I know. Um, it is so cool. Okay. Here's what um, I I came in touch with this term a while back, um, maybe like five years ago, when I had heard about it as it was um, sort of weird. It like sort of made the rounds of like international economists. Why? Because the Chinese premier, Xi Jinping, started talking about gray rhinos. What is a gray rhino, you ask? It is a metaphor for a highly probable high impact yet neglected threat. So it's not a random surprise. It's not like, oh my God, a pandemic, who could have thought about it? 
it is something that is has a series of warnings and there's visible evidence of it. So, you know, climate change, for example, that could be like a gray rhino. It's with us. Um, it could be a busy intersection with no traffic light until, you know, there's a horrible accident, then everyone pays attention to it. And the way I'm thinking about it is around childcare, because childcare has been an issue for decades. It is so expensive for families to pay for childcare, and they are struggling. And so this idea of childcare as a gray rhino kind of came to the fore for me as I was starting to dig into the Biden Build Back Better plan and try to understand the components that impact childcare. How is that impacting the economy? Well, you know, it's interesting. So I, I think in two major ways. First of all, it is hitting family finances in a very significant way. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, childcare issues have been important for a long time. But amid the pandemic, we had a lot of people who were home, a lot of frontline workers who needed care for their children who were under the age of five, and even the school-age kids who were home, and were struggling to find the help they needed. Now, as we come through the pandemic recovery in the economy, there is something really strange going on in the labor market, and we've heard about labor shortages, but it looks like the labor shortages are most acute among women. And a lot of the female-facing fields, so the um, the the kind of the maybe the the restaurants, the servers, uh, the folks who are actually uh, working in retail, those women seem to be leaving the labor force in droves. About three million women have left the labor force over the last twenty months. And the number one reason given is childcare issues. I can't find anyone to take care of my kids or it's too expensive or I'll stay home with my kids. I'm living in a multi-generational household or I have a partner. And so I'm going to choose to do that. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a shortage of childcare workers who are predominantly women, but a lot of those women left the field because as child care centers closed and everyone was on lockdown, they had to find alternative work. And it was kind of easy to find an alternative because child care workers only make about $12.25 an hour. And as a result, they could find other jobs making a lot more money pretty easily. So on two ends of the spectrum, the supply of workers is drastically um, uh, um, smaller and the number of women leaving the workforce it is really under pressure because of the high cost of childcare. So what happens next in this economy to address some of these hiring shortfalls we're seeing everywhere? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different aspects of this. Um, you know, when we look at labor shortages, there is sort of the fundamental issue that there is a group of people who say, I don't want to go back to my low paying job with no benefits and inconsistent hours. So that's one big group of people. And a lot of those people, especially if they have childcare issues, may have said, I'm going to stay home with my kids till I figure out what I want to do next. There's another group of people who are just fried. They are burnt out. 
They are frontline workers. They were in harm's way through a lot of the pandemic. Many of those people are retiring early or literally saying, I can't go back into that hospital setting. I can't go back into that school. I need to do something different. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to just take a job in the same industry. And there's a whole nother group of people who are like, hey, you know what? I have a side hustle now. I was doing something during the pandemic that I love and I figured out how to make money doing it. And you put all these groups together and you've got what is now a real labor shortage in certain sectors of the economy. And I have to be honest with you, it's not going to resolve itself anytime soon. This is a long-term trend. And for the first time in about 20 years, we are seeing workers in the United States have more power than their employers. But is it having an impact on the unemployment rate? Um, yeah. I mean, this everything has an impact on the labor market and the overall economy. So well, the way that, that the government measures uh, the labor market is two different surveys go out every month, right? The first survey goes out to, to the employers. Hey, how many people did you hire or fire or lay off this month? The other report goes to households. And in they say to a household, they say, hey, Jeff, do, are, you, are you employed? Yes or no. And if you're not employed, are you actively seeking work? Yes or no. If you say that you are not actively seeking work, you are no longer considered part of the labor force. And so what happens is sometimes the the unemployment rate can actually drop down, not because so many people got new jobs, but because a whole bunch of people left the labor force. And it just so happens that in this recession, in this COVID recession, that more women have left the labor force than men. In the Great Recession, the one in 2008, 2009, it was flipped. They called it a man session, and this one they're calling a she session. All right, so I checked. The unemployment rate is at 4.8%. At least that's what it was in September. Historically, that's a pretty good number, isn't it? Well, listen, before we went into the pandemic, in February of 2020, the unemployment rate was at 3.5%. It went to an astounding, right, just below 15% over the course of a few months. We have worked our way back. We are not all the way there. But I think there is something more significant going on in both the economy and in the labor market. And again, I think this is really important to underscore that it has been a long time since workers have felt like they could go to their bosses and say, I want to raise. And they want to raise because prices are higher. We've had this very strange inflationary period right now where prices are higher above the board. But this is the first time when prices have gone up where workers feel like they can go to their bosses and say, I need more money. And if the boss says, I can't give it to you, that a worker now has options. So I think that there is something really seismic going on in the labor force because we haven't seen that in a long time. And I also have to be clear that We've never gone through anything like this. You know, one economist said to me, it was, it's as if we went, each of us went on a 19-month meditation about our lives, about the fragility of our health, about what is important to us and our families, about what we do every day in, in, as, at, for work and what we want. And the repercussions of what we learned over those 19 months is now being felt in the labor market. And it's dislocated in many areas. It does not mean this; it's going to be this way forever. But I also think it is naive of a lot of mature businesses to think that business will go back to the way it was pre-pandemic. It just will take some time. I don't think that's what's happening. I think there is something much more significant going on. 
what should people do to take advantage of this economy? Well, what I say is, you know, I'm I am sort of go back to my roots. So I, I'm a math head and I will come out of the closet and say, I am a math head. Uh, please accept me. And uh, I'm also a certified financial planner. And so what I would say is it's a great time to take stock of what motivates you, what makes you feel good, but also to take stock of your finances. If you are lucky enough over the last couple of years to have been fully employed, you probably save more money than you're used to saving because you just there wasn't so many places to spend. And if you're really trying to figure out what you want to do next, I think you have to start with where do I stand financially? Can I afford to take some time? Is it possible that I could make a change in my life where I could actually do something that makes me happier? And can I afford that just on an ongoing basis? Can I also afford to do something like, hey, you know what? I'm going to sell my house. House prices are up dramatically and I'm going to go move to a cheaper part of the country or move to a smaller dwelling because that will free me up to do something really exciting and fun. But without that knowledge of where you you stand in your financial life, I think it's hard to make those decisions. How are the markets reacting to all these changes in the workforce? Well, I think that the markets are not the economy. The economy is not the market. We say that all the time. It's also clear that anyone who's lucky enough to be an investor over the last couple of years has been richly rewarded. Last year, U.S. stocks were up about 16%. So far this year, they're up over 19% as measured by the S&P 500. Um, the, the markets have been very, the, the, the investment markets, the financial markets have been very good. I would certainly look at the gains that people have made over this last few years and say to yourself, okay, this is how much I made, but I know markets can turn against me. What is it that I need to earn in terms of a rate of return? How much risk do I want to take if I'm going to do something different? Or am I on track to hit the goals that I already set out? And maybe I don't want to do anything different. Maybe all I want to do is shave a couple of years off of my work life. Maybe instead of retiring at 67, 64 is better for me. And I can run the numbers and actually see that it could make some sense. Be careful that you don't fall in love with the risky stuff in your portfolio because it can turn against you. And, you know, anyone who has followed the last, you know, 19 months in markets knows that, um, you know, you can, you could see the market make new highs in uh, the middle of February of 2020 and drop by a third by March 23rd. And that happened. And you should pay attention to the fact that markets can swing like that. And so none of us should forget those bad times. We shouldn't count on the fact that you're going to have really buoyant, upward-leaning markets forever. That's just not the way it works. Sometimes they'll go up. Sometimes they'll go down. Over time, if you stay invested, you should do just fine. And you really have to just make sure you're not taking on too much risk at any given time. Jill, thank you. Dr. Julian Malvo is an economist, author, and the dean of the College of Ethnic Studies at Cal State L.A. Dr. Malvo, how do you see this economic recovery unfolding? I would say that it's basically uneven. If you look at the macro data, it would look like we had recovered. Economic growth is certainly back to where it was. The unemployment rate at 4.8% is higher than it was a year and a half ago, but it's still... Um, 
low, relatively low. But we have some challenges. One is the issue of inflation, which is affecting the population unevenly. And the second is certainly the unevenness in the way that people are returning to work. So that people who have college degrees have pretty much recovered. They're back at work. They're making the same money, maybe a little more money in some cases. On the other hand, people who are not college educated and are those who work in the services have not seen their economic status rebound. So it's an uneven recovery that looks great if you're 35,000 feet and up. If you're 2,000 feet, not so good, especially when you look at places like Los Angeles where the homelessness is absurd and where, again, the homeless data speak to the unevenness of recovery. There are 40,000 at least homeless people in L.A. Black folks represent less than 10% of the population, but 40% of the homeless. Not to be cynical, but it seems like economic recoveries are always uneven in terms of who benefits. How do you make this recovery more equitable? Do you need government regulation to make that happen? Well, when you combine the unevenness of the recovery with the extreme unevenness of COVID, it becomes a much more dire situation. You're absolutely right. Nothing ever happens evenly in our capitalist economy. Those who are better off always do better on a downturn and in an upturn. But what we saw was a, a pandemic that hit hard, hit many harder than others, and those who had hit hardest are having the hardest time coming back. So though we, we're not, um, the unevenness is not unusual, but the combination of the unevenness of COVID and the unevenness of recovery leave a lot of people worse off than they were before COVID hit. But I think we need at least some government intervention. I mean, when you say regulation, a lot of people get their backs up, you know, we're nanny economy, defining what people can do. That's not quite what needs to happen. What needs to happen is that government can move things around. As an example, we've got the supply chain block uh, backup, really just a log jam. Oakland, California has offered to help uh, Long Beach and LA in their ports. Um, Those two cities, as of this talking, have not taken up the offer. Government can move some of that uh, by encouraging any number of ways those two cities who are backed up to accept the uh, help of the Port of Oakland. Government can do some other things to uh, facilitate the supply chain. I've heard President Biden talk about perhaps using uh, military and others to help with the um, containers that are backed up in some of these ports. That could happen. I'm not suggesting that we pass a bunch of new laws because, first of all, there's resistance. Secondly, obviously, we can't even pass infrastructure. But what I am suggesting is that government often, in cases of strikes and slowdowns, uh, uses its muscle to move things along. This might be a good time. We see empty grocery shelves. We see uh, retailers concerned about Christmas, although why they're concerned about Christmas before trick-or-treat is a trick to me, but they are concerned about whether or not they have stuff on their shelves. So uh, government can make it easier. Can't help but noticing these days that there are a lot of jobs out there. We see a lot of signs. Why aren't Americans taking advantage of those opportunities? Well, if you look at the labor market and you look at the so-called set of labor shortages, here's the question you have to ask. 
what are these jobs paying and what are the terms and conditions of work? In the last labor market report, more than 2 million women dropped out of the labor market, uh, primarily because of child care um, and related challenges, child, and, and uncertainty related challenges. In other words, if you don't know if school's going to be open that day, what do you do? What do you do um, if you have small children and you have to make sure that they have care? Many women have dropped out of the labor market because of that. Men have to, let's be clear. Men uh, are increasingly facing some of the challenges that women face. But what we're seeing is 15 an hour is $30,000 a year. People are acting like 15 an hour is a fortune. 30 grand a year when a family of four has a poverty line of about 27,000, well, that's okay, but it's not great. When you look at your major cities and what um, childcare costs, you're looking at three to $500 a week minimum. And if you're looking at um, $30,000 a year as a paycheck, someone's making a calculation, you know, maybe it's cheaper for me to stay home. Um, even with the loss of unemployment benefits and other benefits, some workers are finding it um, more expeditious to stay home. Here's the other thing, uh, Jeff. COVID allowed people to rethink the way they live their lives. So many people basically are like, I don't need the stress. I'll work less. I'll get paid less. Some people are saying things like, I'd rather take a job that pays less but has more benefits than to take a job uh, that pays a lot and has no benefits. So you see basically us collectively doing this calculus about how work has changed because COVID changed what we think and what we value. How is this economy impacting people differently, depending on whether you are an urban dweller or whether you live in the suburbs? That's a really great question. I don't have data on it, but let's just speculate a little bit. We know that where you have agglomeration economies, where you've got lots of people like in a city like a D.C. or in L.A., uh, there are more opportunities not only in person but also remotely. And what I'm finding on my campus as an example, people have the luxury, if you will, or the opportunity to continue to work remotely if they have um, medical excuses through the end of the calendar year. This is true in a lot of other places. Amazon has said their workers will be working remotely through 2022. Now, who gets to work remotely? Certainly not the bus driver. Not the person who cleans the airplane. I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about getting off a plane and realizing the folks who cleaned the plane were on the plane before the people in coach had even gotten off. That's what kind of pressure they were on under to turn the plane around. They don't get to work remotely. So the unevenness is to where you are, there are more opportunities in, in dense areas, but opportunities for who and what does that mean? Now, the flip side is that in rural areas, um, those who are well-educated and have access to the Internet, which, as we know, is an issue in some rural areas. But if you have those two things, you can possibly work remotely. But if you don't, you really can't. So the uneducated, what, regardless of race, those who are not um, college grads or who don't have access to Internet and other things, they're being left at the sidelines. The other piece of that, of course, in terms of inflation, is that depending on where you are physically, you're going to have less access to goods and services. So I would expect that you'd see more inflation in some rural areas. Inflation, after all, is just too much money chasing too few goods. That's, you know, that's it. You have 
more people who want stuff than stuff out there. And you can look at a number of um, examples, but think about how this plays out. The automobile industry is a really good example. Um, cars are just more expensive. People don't have the sensors and the, all the parts they need, and so cars are more expensive. What do people do about that? Well, some people say, I'll just go without a car, or I'll drive my old car until it dies. Others uh, trade differently. Um, they may say, well, I'll get a, as opposed to getting a new car, I'll get a used car, which now both costs are going up as well. Um, and it comes, kind of depends on where you're situated on the continuum. Those who already have access are going to be able to make it happen, and those who don't are going to suffer. Dr. Malbo, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be with you. That is it for this week's America Change Forever podcast. You can download previous episodes wherever you download your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to share the podcast. My thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull and District Productive. I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America Change Forever. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Dars. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.